Welcome to the Resources for Integrated Care webinar, Delivering Dementia-Capable Care Within Health Plans, Why and How. This podcast is excerpted from a webinar presented live on June 19, 2019. In this podcast, Dr. Christopher Callahan, the Director for the Center for Aging at Indiana University, provides an overview of emerging practices and models of care for delivering care to participants with dementia. Thank you, and good afternoon, everyone. I just want to express my thanks to all of you who are on the phone for your work in this area and your interest in this area because it's um, such an area of high need. I'm going to give kind of a mile-high overview that is designed to provide the rationale for the new models of care and the um, implementation of those new models that you're going to hear later in the presentation. Can we go to the first slide? I think most of us are aware that millions of people will develop Alzheimer's disease, but one of the things we like to point out is that most of these um, numbers that you see on the slide here represent people who are already alive and have already survived to the age of 65. So this is a population that we're not estimating or projecting will grow. We are going to see a lot more Americans uh, uh, with Alzheimer's disease, and that's one of the reasons why we have some urgency about improving our care. The next slide. One of the disappointing things I'm sure many of you have heard over the past 10 years or so is that there are no known medications to prevent or cure or slow the progression of Alzheimer's disease and other dementias. And sadly, there's been over 100 um, drugs tried uh, which have failed in clinical trials. And sometimes this makes us feel a little bit pessimistic about what can be done, but I think what you're going to learn today is that there is so much more that we have to offer persons living with dementia and to their families. The next slide. When we talk about um, people living with dementia, we are talking about people who might be living for this, with this disease for over a decade. In the slide, I've put the light blue arrow uh, by the um, group who at baseline already had moderate to severe dementia. And you can see that almost half of those um, people living with dementia are still alive at five years. Um, When we think about earlier and earlier recognition and diagnosis of these conditions, then we start to see that um, these people are our neighbors and family members, and they'll be living with us and in our community for a decade or more. And it provides a little bit more of the rationale for why we need to redesign not only our healthcare system, but also our communities. The next slide. So um, dementia is among the costliest conditions in the US. Um, we've provided a lot of information on this slide. I'd like to just bring your eye to the second bullet uh, that uh, over one out of four patients uh, with dementia receive both Medicare and uh, Medicaid benefits. And we often think of those dual eligible 
older adults with dementia as residing in nursing homes, and many of them do. But really, over the past few years, we've increasingly seen that, again, many more of those uh, persons living with dementia are receiving um, uh, community-based um, services uh, that are provided in their own home. We also have to remember that many people with dementia also have other chronic conditions and ailments that are more common with older adults, and it is typically those comorbid conditions that are responsible for a large percentage of the health care costs. Next slide. One of the sad issues around the cost of dementia is that it's increasingly pushing some families into poverty. If we look at just the Medicare expenditures for dementia compared to other chronic conditions like congestive heart failure or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, those Medicare expenditures are similar, but we see dramatic differences in the out-of-pocket costs. And these include things like um, uh, co-insurance and deductibles, but they also include just day-to-day -day issues such as um, hiring people to assist with dressing or personal hygiene and then other more day-to-day um, uh, -day issues like absorbent pads or other supplies that one might have to keep in the home. What has um, been particularly striking is that these out-of-pocket medical expenses are pushing some families into poverty. And because so many of the caregivers are women, um, spouses and daughters, one of the things we see is that these expenditures on the person living with dementia reduce the intergenerational wealth transfer so, in other words, these are savings that aren't available to the daughter or the granddaughter or the great-granddaughter. Next slide. So, we know that medical care for dementia falls short. Um, too few people have their cognitive impairment recognized. Even when it is recognized, it's not often evaluated according to current guidelines. Even when people are evaluated, their provider often doesn't tell them about the diagnosis or educate their family about the diagnosis. And we see too often that these patients are prescribed medications that may not be in their best interest. Next slide. So one of the things that we also see that makes medical care for these patients so uh, difficult is that they have frequent transitions. And again, many of us had the idea that as the dementia progresses, patients uh, inevitably move to a nursing home and they live out their days in that nursing home. But that is not at all what happens with persons living with dementia. They move between their home and the hospital and subacute rehabilitation. Uh, they go back to the home and back to the hospital, and this ping-ponging across sites of care puts a great deal of strain on the patient and the family and their providers. Next slide. So um, another uh, sort of mile-high recognition 
that's been true for 100 years and we suspect it's going to be true for the next 100 years is that families provide the majority of care. Um, we are recognizing more and more that persons living with dementia are often adapting their own lives and their own homes to be able to provide their own care for many years. But when we look at persons that now require a caregiver, these are typically going to be women and they're going to be the um, family uh, members and those families are going to provide billions of hours and billions of dollars in unpaid care. Next slide. When you put all of these um, first issues together, uh, the large number of persons living with dementia in our communities who are largely cared for by their families, then we can see that we need systems of dementia care that better reflect those reality. And most of this is going to be provided through support for caregivers. Um, we can do more to improve the quality of medical care, but we need to do much more uh, to coordinate the care across the different sites of care and in particularly with the community-based organizations. Next slide. When we look at these new models of care, um, if you focus your attention on the left side of this diagram with the uh, colored um, boxes, you'll see that um, these programs typically try to do one of three things to improve the quality of the caregiver support, to improve the quality of the medical care, or improve the coordination with community resources. And what we're going to hear about today is that programs that try to do all three. And the reason that they do all three is uh, depicted in the middle part of this diagram. We believe that if we can decrease caregiver stress, and we can decrease the troublesome neuropsychiatric symptoms of the patients, then we might be able to decrease the rate of cognitive decline and, in particular, functional decline. That might lead to a decrease in hospitalization and nursing home use. That might lead to a decrease in health care costs, but also improvement in the patient's quality of life. The next slide. Now, we're going to make a somewhat artificial distinction in these next three slides between medical components of the integrated care models and social components. What I've listed on these slides are what are often viewed as the medical component, the things that are done in a medical setting by medical providers, and that is to identify people at risk. Um, it may be through case finding or early screening, but certainly to diagnose the patients early, to evaluate them for treatable causes or reversible um, causes. So important to discuss this diagnosis and prognosis, and this is where we found in recent years that providers often fall short. When we've made the diagnosis, we of course need to continue to care for the comorbid conditions like congestive heart failure or diabetes, and we need to help in the treatment of behavioral symptoms. And some of the models that focus more on these medical components are listed in the box on this slide. 
Next slide. In these next two slides, we're going to look at things that are perhaps considered more social components, but I want to reiterate that quality care includes all of these things, and that is to engage the community support agencies. Um, we are relying on these uh, agencies to provide individualized and culturally, culturally competent services and they are often in, in and part of the communities that they serve. Um, we need an individualized care plan that focuses on that particular patient's and family's needs with a goal of maximizing independence. We need to discuss advanced care planning and then facilitate the kind of physical and social and cognitive activity that we think help people uh, remain independent for as long as possible. Now, some of the models that have focused more on these components of integrated care are shown in the box in this slide, and we can move to the next slide. A few more of these social components, and now you're all getting a sense, I would think, of the complexity of these models and why we need a more systematic approach. Um, we also need to do things like provide guidance to the patient and their family about financial fraud and some of the other um, risks, uh, such as um, driving and um, patients getting lost. Uh, we see these um, problems all of the time in clinic. I'm sure many of you have seen them in the news. They are terribly tragic, and they're completely preventable. Some of the things that might, hope, uh, might help are home modifications that can support independence and increase the um, patient's comfort. These might be very simple things like grab bars or elevated um, toilet seats, and they might be more complicated interventions for the family that wants to go this direction, including um, technologies such as um, videos and um, other monitoring devices in the home. It's also important to provide culturally sensitive emotional support to the caregivers but also track the well-being and the outcomes of the caregivers. If we have concluded that our best way to take care of an older adult with dementia is through their caregiver, then we have to take care of the caregiver so that they can provide that role. The next slide. There are evidence-based models for um, dementia care. Um, several of these models have been tested in clinical trials, and I think you can think of them as proof-of-concept models. The models have shown to improve patient and caregiver symptoms. Um, these models may also delay nursing home use. We are hopeful that they can reduce total health care utilization and cost, but so far there's only limited evidence that they can um, decrease cost. And Part of that is because these models are, in a way, developed in a greenhouse setting, in a controlled environment, and we are just now learning how to take them out of the greenhouse and put them into the real world, and that's what the other speakers are going to talk about this morning. If we know these medical and social components and we know these different players that we want to organize into a system of care, what does it take to put that 
into the real world and actually getting it working at scale across an entire community. We also think that we've really underutilized research on home redesign and the incorporation of new technologies, and this is an area of active research. The next slide. I'm going to end um, my comments with what I hope will be a very hopeful note, um, and that is the suggestion that perhaps one-third of dementia cases may be preventable. Now, um, many of these areas of prevention, and I won't go through them on the slide, require us to start changing behavior and our treatment of illnesses and the design of our communities early. These are things that people do over a lifetime, certainly in middle age and then into old age, in order to decrease the number of dementia cases that we'll see in the future. Uh, that doesn't mean, though, that we won't be facing what we um, already depicted on the first slide, and that is that we'll be caring for millions of older adults with dementia. Thank you for listening. This podcast is presented by the Lewin Group and is supported through the Medicare and Medicaid Coordination Office at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. MMCO is dedicated to helping beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality health care that includes the full range of covered services in both programs. To support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated, coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovations and care models. To learn more about our current efforts and resources, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter for more details. Our Twitter handle is at integrate underscore care.